0: you have your Bibles, Romans the 6th chapter. Romans the 6th chapter. And what we're going to do, we're going to go from verse 1 to verse 14. Because as we are going through this chapter, that's, for me, and for many others as as I've read and, and listened to, this is kind of the break that they also see this chapter. These first 14 verses and then the remainder and and it's and it all ties together it all ties together but 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 a clarity of thought seems to especially run through verse 1 through verse 14 so let's read uh, i'll be reading from the new king james version this morning this is paul what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound certainly not in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Let us pray once again. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. And Father, even now, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And perhaps most of all, Father, who we are not, make us and it's in christ's name i pray amen amen just uh we have this that verse one chase so we're going to start there again this morning what shall we say then well what shall <laughs> say to what whether well, we we got to know the what 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 shall, about what well about what he's just addressed in chapter five that that and just briefly, if we take the whole of the chapter, that having been justified by grace through faith, we have peace with God. No longer an enemy. But we, in Christ, are at peace with God. A relationship of peace. And having been justified by grace through faith, we have access. Access to God through Christ into this grace in which we stand. And... Having been justified by grace through faith, we can rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Knowing that one day we will be fully glorified together with Him. Rejoice in those things. And and now here's what I want to do. I do want us to go back into chapter five, the last four verses. And let's, let's read. Verses eight, just 18 and 19 chased and, and stop uh, for, for just a moment. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. Let me stop. Who's this one man? You, you, you can say it. That's okay. Adam. Adam. This is Adam. The first man, Adam. This is one man's offense. His sin. His disobedience. And because of that, judgment came to who? All, all, all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act and free gift, righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. And who's the one? The one man, the righteous act? Well, we, we could say second man, Adam, if we want to say it that way, but it's talking of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. In, in, in other words, what Paul is saying, Our union with Adam and his offense, his disobedience brought condemnation to all. There is none righteous, no, not one. None. All have received, and we've been putting it this way, all have received the imputed sin of Adam. We are all united to Adam, made in union with Adam in his sinning, then in comparison and stark contrast. Our union with Christ and His righteous act is obedience brought righteousness and justification of life to all who are in Christ. All who are born again. All those who have believed the gospel and received Christ have received the imputed righteousness of Christ. Through Adam, sin and death, condemnation. In Christ, newness of life. Righteousness. Now uh, verse twenty and twenty-one. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Now, now I want to pause. I know for many of you this is this is a review from a couple weeks ago, but how important is this to grasp? This We need to understand chapter 5 and chapter 6 because this is all laying the groundwork for 7 and 8 and 9 and everything to come. And we're, we're going to see that because we're going to keep coming back and to say, look, see what Paul was saying because he keeps building layer upon layer to get this truth through. That, that is what he's building. Huh. Moreover, the law entered... That the offense might abound. That the sin might abound. Well, what's that mean? Well, the law entered, came alongside the offense, the sin of Adam as well as, I believe, of all mankind. So that the offense, the sin might abound. Well, what's that mean? So that sin might be clearly known. That sin might be made clearly evident. Made Manifest, if you'd want to say it that way, to all the law came so that we would have a knowledge of sin. Now we're, we're going to jump ahead to chapter seven for for just a minute. You're going to see Paul just is, is keep the same thought as going through all this. Verse seven in chapter seven. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Well, certainly not. On the contrary, now listen, what's Paul say? I would not have known sin except through the law. So what's he saying? He has a knowledge of sin because of the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had had said, you shall not covet. Through the law is the knowledge of sin. We understand that, correct? Our, our gospel presentation, if I could say it that way, that's not a good way to say it. But our witness to others in talking about Christ and in talking about their condition has to, it has to come back to the issue of sin, does it not? Because here's what you're going to hear, and here's what you probably already heard. I'm a good person. Have, have you heard that? To someone that you know by the fruit they bear are lost and, and know nothing of God. Well, I'm a good person. Oh, really? So if, if you stand one day before God the Father, and He judges you according to His Word, and we can go to the law. Can't we? So, you're telling me you have never told a lie, even a small one, even when you was a, just a child. Now, son, did you take a cookie out of that cookie jar? No, knowing full well you did. It's a lie. It's sin. So, so you're saying you've never done? Well, yeah, yeah, I, I've I've done. I've done some of that, so, well, here, let me ask you this: Have you ever taken anything that wasn't yours for your own? And we'll go back to the cookie jar. You're not supposed to be in those. That's for the family. You stay out of those, or that's for company that's coming. You took one. You stole it. This, that's it, right? Right. I mean, to, to put it very plainly. Or let's say you're working uh, in a factory, or you're doing something, and and you need something? Well, there's a pen. Well, I'll just put that in my pocket. I'll take it home with me. It's very small. I understand that. It's not like going robbing a bank. But what is it? It's stealing. So you've never stolen? Well, maybe. You know, never robbed a bank, but little things. So, so here, let, let me let me ask you this, and and and. Usually I'd be talking to to a man or something here, so let me ask you this. Have you ever looked at a woman in lust? Yes or no? Have have you? Well, who hasn't? So, by your own admission, you're a thieving, liar, luster, and, and God says if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you're an adulterer. So you're a you're a thieving, lying, adulterer at heart. So you're you going to tell me that you're okay and you're a good person and someday when you stand before God the Father and He judges you rightly according to His Word, where do you stand? Do you see? A knowledge of sin. We can bring it back. And we have to. Because your, your gospel presentation can't be... Well, well... Don't, don't you want to go to heaven? I know I've said this a lot, but who is going to say no to that? Is anybody going to say no to that question? No, don't you want to go to heaven? Or don't don't you want to have a better life? Don't, don't you want things to be better? Well, who's going to say no to that? Well, All you got to do is say this little prayer, and everything will be great. What a lie and heresy is that? Because we know that for God's children, trials come. We can't say to them, well, we can and a lot of people do, don't they? Because they're trying to get them to say this little prayer when what they should be saying is what's your condition before God when you're judged according to what this says. Well, I might offend them. Well, guess what? The gospel is offensive. Is it? It is. The gospel... If you make a gospel presentation and it's not offensive, you need to check out yourself. I think I'm okay to say that. Because it will be. It's an offense to a sinner. They will get mad and they will get angry and they will start justifying themselves. Have you been there? So that sin might be made known. How would I have known covetousness unless the law had told me? I believe at some point you have to come back to the Word of God, whether you go to the Ten Commandments, whether you go to some of these lists that the Apostle Paul has, or or some of the things that Christ said where it talks of sin, and where He says, if you practice these things, you will have no part with Me. Well, I might offend them. As best you can, speak the truth in love. And I know I get a little intense. I understand that. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, to make sin known. See, sin is exposed, and thus the law brings about wrath. What? What? Well, Romans 4. Let's back up a little further. Romans 4, verse 15. Because, see, I didn't say something the word didn't say, did I? Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. In other words, the law came to make the transgression known. Do do we see that? It makes our sin evident and obvious. It makes sin visible for what it is. Transgression against Almighty Holy God. That is sin. The law reveals sins. It brings us all guilty. Before God and deserving of wrath. It silences the mouth of the one who would say that they have no sin and that I'm a good person. Doesn't it? I mean, hey, let's back up another chapter in Romans. We're, we're going backwards, aren't we? Let's go to chapter 3, chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. This is what he talked about way back there. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under law, why? That every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before Him. It, it's got to start there, doesn't it? Before we can know the love of God, before we can trust and believe the gospel of Christ, we have to be brought to that position of we are guilty before most holy God. That every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the, what you say it? Knowledge of sin. So has Paul been just layering and layering and layering? Yes, he has. Let's go back in just a few more verses there in chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. What then? Are we better than they? Is the Jew better than the Gentile? Is the Gentile better than the Jew? Who's better? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jew and Greeks that they are all under sin. And the Pharisees hate this. The Jews, the practicing Jew, hates this as it is written there is none righteous no not one there is none who understands there is none who seeks after god they have all turned aside they have all they have together become unprofitable there is none who does good no not one now back to verse 2021 20 chase Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Now listen, listen, if you listen, say amen. Listen, listen. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. You see, whatever sin may have done, grace has done much more, exceedingly more, infinitely more. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace. Amazing Grace, grace upon grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse with Him. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. You know, often I say when we're reading scripture, put yourself in a verse, put yourself in a, put yourself in that lyric. Grace that is greater than all my sin. But huh. where sin abounded, grace abounded. Much more. We've talked about Paul being the master communicator. He is. Thank God for the Apostle Paul. Because he anticipates objections. Seemingly before they arise. But we have to understand he'd been out there. He'd been out there. He'd been in the halls. He'd been in the temples. He'd been preaching all of these things. And and I am relatively confident he has heard the objections yelled at him. And so here, it's like Paul knows an objection is getting ready to come. And and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. What 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 would that objection maybe sound like or look like? And it would be something like this: Well, Paul, if if you tell me that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds, then doesn't it follow that the more I sin, the more grace will abound? That it seems to me that I just need to keep sinning so that God may make His grace manifest. That sounds good. Keep on sinning so that more grace may abound. and what they're saying is sin doesn't matter with an attitude like that. Verse 1, chapter six. What shall we say then, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And we talked about this. I am not a Greek scholar. I go to uh, references. I, I go to commentaries to, to pick up on these things. But but it's so good because shall we continue? Shall we continue? That, that word for continue, epimeno, carries the thought of a habitual practice. Shall we continue? And, and it was also, I brought this out, it was also used of a person's purposeful living in a certain place and of making that place their permanent residence. So, in, in the language of the day, so you're continuing in such and such. Yeah, that's my residence. That's where I reside. That's where I stay. So, do you see what it's saying? Shall we continue? Shall we make sin our dwelling place? Shall we continue in it? Shall we make it our practice of life? And what does Paul say, verse two? Well, certainly not. ESV. By no means. N-E-S-V. May it never be. It's a. It's one of the strongest phrasing. That's in the Word of God, and it carries a sense of outrage that an idea of this kind could ever be even thought of as true. Paul said, may it never be. It's unthinkable. It's inconceivable. I read a quote from Martin Lord Jones. I just want to read just an abbreviated portion of this, of him talking about this very thing. And quote, What is the business of grace? Is it to allow us to continue in sin? Now now think about this as I'm reading. No. It is to deliver us from the bondage and reign of sin. And to put us under the reign of grace. So when a man asks, shall we therefore continue in sin that grace may abound? He is merely showing that he has failed to understand either the tyranny of the reign of sin or the whole object and purpose of grace and its marvelous reign over those who are saved. Or, to put it positively, a man who really understands justification and its meaning and its purpose will never, never think like that. And will never speak like that. But I want to put it even more strongly. A man who is justified and who is under the reign of grace cannot think like that. Still less act like that. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Unquote. I thought he put it very, very well. Uh, uh, James Boyce. Uh, said it this way he said therefore if we find it possible to go on sinning so that grace may increase we only prove by our actions that we are not really saved it is as simple and as strong as that we died to sin paul says how can we live in it any longer end quote put the two verses up again romans 6 1 and 2 What shall we say? Who's the we? Well, I I believe that this is the truly the the born again we, the ones who have grace abounded toward them, we who died to sin. Uh, How can we who died to sin live any longer in it? Who died? We died. This is pointing back to an event, an act that happened once. Now, I hope you can stay with me. Stay with me. It happened once. This death was a one-time occurrence. This was at our, and how you want to put this, our, our regeneration, our salvation, our being saved, we died. We died. We died once. Because here, here, this is not talking about a daily dying. This is talking about that once happened for those who are born again. Am I making sense? I hope so. So he's not talking about a process. He's not talking about daily dying here, but he's talking about that which happened in our justification. Because we were changed. We were changed. Once dead, but alive to sin and death and condemnation. But that, I'm going to say that man, because Paul puts it in those terms himself, that man died. And we were raised to newness of life. Uh, he, he will Here, I'll let Paul explain it. Uh, Romans 6, verse 6. He can say it better than me. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Why? That the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin see, the old man, the old sinful enemy of God that we all once were, was crucified with Christ. We died in Christ. We can go to Galatians 2.20. You know that. You know that. I have been crucified with Christ. Died. We died. It is no longer I who live. We've been raised with Him. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, and he's talking about he's still on this earth, he's still walking around in this old body. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. For those who are in Christ, we died in Christ, we have been crucified with Christ, we have been reborn, born again in Christ, we are a new creation. Let's go ahead and read it in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. You're something, you became something that for you never was before. This is not layering something on top of that old man. And I hope this comes across right. It's not a remodel of the old man. The old man died. Is dead. And now a new creation. A new creation. Raised to newness of life. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We died with Christ. See, this is the key to understanding all that Paul is is saying here in this and in the book of Romans, everyone on the face of this planet is in one of two positions. You're either yet a child of Adam and residing in the realm of sin and death, or you're a child of God and residing under the reign of grace in the realm of righteousness and eternal life. Two positions. There's only two You're in one of those. And I understand that for someone who is yet lost, yet dead in their transgressions and sins, none of that makes sense. I understand that. And it will not make sense until the Spirit, by the truth of the Word, moves, the wind blows where it blows, where the Spirit breathes on them. Can I say it that way? Where the Spirit blows on them. That's what Jesus talked about there. Where the Spirit comes to them and they, God the Father draws them. Calls them. And I've likened it to Lazarus in the grave. Jesus stood before Lazarus was dead. And to make sure he was dead, Jesus tarried, didn't He? For three days. Just so there would be no doubt about it. Lazarus. Dead. Well, don't open that thing. He's been in there three days. No doubt he's, he's starting to decay. Dead. That, that, that was us in our trespasses and sins. Can, can we understand that? We were all dead. We could not respond. We could do nothing of our own. Do you get that? You could do nothing. You, I've, I've heard it said, well, well it's like I was, I was in the ocean and the waves were all around and I was, I was just, just wandering around and then Jesus, He came along and, I, and, and He offered His hand and I reached up and, and I grabbed it and I took it. No, no, no. You were dead on the ocean floor. That's where you were. You, you weren't paddling around with some spiritual strength. You had none. You were dead on the ocean floor. And then God, by grace and mercy, called you just as Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb. God called with an effective, fervent call. There is no boasting. There can be, by grace we are saved through faith and not of works, lest anyone should boast. But I reached, it was me, I did it. No, no. And when God calls, yes, we respond. Don't get me wrong. What's my part? Well, my part is to fall on my face as most holy God revealed Himself to me And I recognized that I was a sinner on my way to hell under the wrath of God, apart from the message of the cross, you see. Yeah, what was my part? To fall on my face. That was my part. And to believe, and to receive, and to confess, and to walk with Him. And we can only do that through the strength He gives. (laughs) Through the strength He gives. So the sinner doesn't understand this. Understand, as you're trying to witness to someone, you do not have to come up with elaborate, coercive strategies. Okay? Take the Word of Truth and let it speak. Speak the truth in love. But there has to be bad news in there before they know the good news is good news. Is that right? They have to recognize the bad news before they can know that there is good news in the Gospel. Let's go 1 Corinthians one eighteen. Now listen, because we understand this, don't we? Child of God, we understand this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. To the lost, to those who are dead in trespasses and sins. But to us, <laughs> to the born again, to us who are being saved. In, in we're saying that, what do you mean being saved? I thought I was saved. Yes, you are saved. But one day it will be fully realized. Fully realized someday. Being saved, for those who are being saved, it is the power of God is the power of God is the power of God let, let, let's go within the next chapter in in first Corinthians 2 verses 14 through 16 but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness due to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned now understand dead men can't discern spiritual things. Understand that. And so, I can't believe people are acting the way they act. They're acting exactly what is natural to them. Because they are a natural man in their sin. Their father is not God the Father. Who's their father? The devil, Satan. And so they are acting and doing. You see all the perversions and the thing that's going on in this world. Well, how can that be going on? I can't believe it's happening. We'll believe it because they're just doing what comes natural to them. You see, and all this other stuff—it's—it's it's foolish to them, and they can't know it because these things are spiritually concerned, spiritually discerned. See, the natural, unregenerate man is spiritually dead and cannot understand the Bible. Now, he can read it, can he? He can debate it. Can he? Now there's a there's an encounter, isn't it? Having a debate over the Bible with someone who's not even a Christian, and and, and how can they do that when without the indwelling Spirit there's nothing, there's no understanding, there's nothing there for them they can't do those things but here's what they can do they're watching you they're watching you and they can discern this when you don't live up to your profession they can do that because maybe if they don't come up to you they will say it to someone else they call themselves a christian you should have heard what I heard them say. Or you should have saw what I saw them do. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? They, they can sure see our faults and, and cry out hypocrite, but they cannot discern or evaluate our faith because they can't discern spiritual things. Yeah I'm going to read that read that here I'm going to start back up there let me get back to this but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned but he who is spiritual that he who is spiritual judges all things yet he himself is rightly judged by no one can can an unregenerate man judge a spiritual man no no cannot cannot yeah, they can point out our shortcomings. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one but God, but God, for who has known the mind of God, mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. See, the, mat- the, the unnatural man, d- does, does the natural man know anything of the mind of God? No, no, no. Yet they're the debaters. They can argue. But we, who are born again, born of the Spirit, look at that. But we have, we have, we possess the mind of Christ. When you... Read over that. How does that land on you? What does that cause you to think? Do you want to sit back and go, well, that's not me? That's, if it comes out that way, stop thinking like that. Because Paul is trying to tell you who you are in Christ. We are alive in Him. The old man dead, alive in Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Here, let's go to. Well, here I'm going to back up because because something else I I read there. Let's go here and talk.ing Of these things, First John, second chapter, twenty through twenty seven. Let's go there. We who are born again, born again believers, have the mind of Christ. Now now look. But you have... And who's the you? Who's this talking to? It's talking to believers. Now hang on here. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Now first thing I want to do is is to pause and say when we are first saved, do we know all things. No. No. No, we don't know all things. Do, do, do we really ever know all things? And Some may read this and go, well, I, it kind of says we do, right? No, no. now listen. Now, I believe to get a better rendering of this verse and the true meaning of it would be in the ESV translation where it reads this. See, you can look at that, but here it says, and, and, and you all have knowledge. Instead, of you know all things, you all have knowledge. And we do. If we're in Christ, we have knowledge. We don't have it all. He's bringing us along. He's revealing things to us. I was just pointing that out. Uh, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. If they're born again, they know truth. And you shall know the truth, and truth shall set you free. You've been set free from your sin. So you know truth. And that no lie is of the truth who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised you eternal life. But these things have... I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. Let me pause there. You don't need anybody to teach you. So why am I up here? Well, here, let me read you this. Ephesians 4.11 uh, I put, okay. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's why I'm up here. He has called me to this. This is the work he's called me to. And I've got to tell you this. There's very often I feel very inadequate to be up here and doing what I'm doing. But I know, I know, I know He has called me to this. But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it is, has taught you, you will abide in Him. But the anointing that you have received in Him, I've got to say something about that. What's the anointing? Now, is this some second blessing? Is this some higher secret special gift to only the very holy and upright among us? No. 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 There's a bunch of our charismatic friends that want to take this Word wherever it's found in here and they want to go places with it that they should not go. The anointing, the anointing, and they have their definition of what that means, and it so very often has nothing to do with what the Word of God explains and tells. The anointing. The anointing. Let's go to Second Corinthians uh, first chapter, verses twenty one twenty two. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. Who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Every born again child of God has the indwelling Holy Spirit. Amen. Everyone has the Holy Spirit indwelling them. How do I know that? Romans 8, 9. Put that up. That's This is how I know that. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now listen. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So. If you are His, if you're born again, if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Don't ever let anyone tell you otherwise. Take them to the Word of God and see what they can do with that verse. Well, then here the question may come up. Well, preacher, how how do I know I have the Holy Spirit? How do I know that? Well... He explains it in a few more verses. Let's go drop down into Romans 8, verses 16 and 17. Here's, here's how you know. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together with Him. How do we know we have the Spirit? The Spirit of God lets us know. Lets us us know. And I can say this, If we have the Spirit, we will bear spiritual fruits of righteousness, will we not? So I guess you could maybe use that as an evidence if you have the Spirit. What's the fruit of your life? As Jesus said, you will know them by their what? Fruit. Fruit. So all believers have the Spirit. Let's go to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, let's go 11 through 14. In Him... Also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is our guarantee. Of our inheritance into the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. The same message in the letter he wrote to the Ephesians, and he's putting in, in, in Romans that he puts in Corinthians that he sends to Timothy, all talking about this. Every believer has been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Second 2 Timothy two nineteen. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having the seal, the Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God knows who is His. Having this seal, in Ephesians four verses twenty-nine through thirty-two, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is necessary for, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgave you. So when I said, check the fruit of your life, there's there's your list. There's one of the lists of Paul. Is, it, it, is your life a... A series of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking? Is that the fruit of your life? Or is the fruit of your life loving, kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiving? What's the evidence that the Holy Spirit is in you? Second Corinthians 5.5, five. let's drop there. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. A guarantee of what? Of what's to come. Of what's to come. What's to come. We read this earlier, but as we were singing, but let's read it again in John 6, verse 37 through 40. All that the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of Him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me that of all He has given me I should lose nothing but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of Him who sent me that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life and I will raise Him up at the last day. I'm going to close just just with this. Because look, everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him they have everlasting life. So I would ask it this way. Do you see Him? Do you see Him? You know, we sang the song earlier that I may see Him high and lifted up. Do you see Him? The spiritually dead can't see Him. But those who have died in Christ can see Him and know Him, and be instructed by the Word of God, enlightened by the Spirit of God that indwells them? Do you see Him? In other words, do you believe? By grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone, no other way do you believe. And not a belief that this nonchalant... Yeah, I believe. I mean, the demons do that, don't they? But when they believe... and. And they do, they tremble. Because they know what's coming for them. They know their final dwelling place. But when the lost sinner just flippantly says, well, I believe they don't tremble. They will. They will in one of two places. They will either tremble while yet here walking on this earth, and the Holy Spirit enlightens them. And before most holy God, understanding who He is at that moment, at that moment of of illumination, or however you want to say it, you tremble. Because you realize who you are, you realize who He is, and you tremble. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. You see, it's grace that teaches my heart to tremble. And then it's grace that relieves that fear. Do you see him? Do you know him? Do you believe? In Romans 10, verses 9 through 13, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Keep going. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we know after the fact that the only reason we can call upon Him is because He first called us. We love Him because He first loved me, us. But if someone is listening to this or even here this morning and you're get lost, I pray the Holy Spirit will breathe on you and that God would open your eyes so that you may know Him and know Him. Because, because this... This I know. I believe what the word of God says in John five, verse 24 says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. But for those who do not believe, they're going to be in the hands of an angry God. Jesus said in john three verse thirty six he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, but he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, and I listen, I listen, but the wrath of God abides on him, See, and I understand that the happy pagan doesn't understand that they're just in their sin and their They're following after their father, the devil, and they're just doing all that comes natural to them, and they do not understand that they are under his wrath even as they're walking. They are dead men walking. You know, I I know that with this culture and all this stuff, you know, you you hear, especially this time of year with what's going on, the, the living dead, those who are yet dead in their trespasses and sins are actually the living dead. Yeah, they're walking around on the face of this planet, but they are dead spiritually and under the wrath of God. John 6, 47. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. John 3, 16. Let's close with that. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The, the Apostle Paul, even in his writing, says, I, I beseech you, I, I, I call to you, I, I beg of you, be reconciled to God. And we do that. And we, re- and we rest in, in God doing the work that I cannot do a miracle of salvation so let us pray heavenly father even even as I said that I just pray Lord that that should there be someone even here or someone at a later time that may listen to the sermon that through all my rambling and bumbling around Lord that that you can put some cohesiveness to it just by your spirit that 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 and anything that just needs to be kind of forgotten and thrown in the trash, Lord, just by Your Spirit, You can do that in their mind and with those things that are rock solid as I've read Your Word, Lord, that You would implant Your Word. Perform a miracle. Just to someone who is lost and, and is under Your wrath, Lord, I just pray, Have mercy. And just call to them. Draw them to Yourself through the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, open their eyes. Give them life that they may see You and see their condition. And Father, upon that very thing, all of the word from You that they have heard through the years would, would blaze into glory as it would all come together for them in understanding all these things that they've heard preached. And the Father, that You would grant them faith to believe, that You would grant them repentance as they would fall before You, crying out, confessing their sin to You and receiving Christ. And Lord, should there be one, I pray that You would Strengthen them and help them to bear spiritual fruit of righteousness. That you would guide them in your word by your word of truth and by your spirit. And Lord, for for those of us who are born again and we know, we know without a shadow of a doubt, we know that we have been born again, that we have the spirit in us. Help us to be rock solid of who we are. And to live out who we are. To reckon ourselves dead to sin. To no longer walk in it, not for a second. But we do. We stumble. And Father, I'm so thankful that you have promised that as you are faithful and true, if we'd confess our sins, that you would grant us repentance. We know our identity. We know that we are secure in Christ. Even when we stumble here, we're not perfect. One day we will be completely perfect when we stand before You, holy, blameless, and above reproach. And for that, we give You thanks. And we cannot cease but give thanks. So Father, help us even now as we close out the service.